Father God, thank you for gathering us this morning, and we thank you for all things. We know that you're the one who's sovereign, you're the creator, the sustainer of all things, and you have drawn us here to yourself uh, by the word of grace. And what a, what an incredible blessing you have been to us down through the years, ever since we came to know you through personal faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross and in dying for our sins then and uh, uh, his burial and his glorious resurrection and his ascension what what good news indeed this is that there is a, a a way forward leading to fellowship with you if only we would believe and i'm thankful father that you've reached out to us and overcame our blindness that we might have a heart softened and ready to receive your precious truth. Father, uh, I thank you that we've been enabled also to be bold for you to speak forth uh, the word of your grace. And though we live in very difficult times here, uh, seemingly getting more difficult. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be silenced, but be bold for you and that you meet our every need and guide and direct. And as the challenges come, Father, to our faith, perhaps great persecution as well and other other uh, needs that uh, we see so clearly coming our way. Father, I pray that we would be strengthened, enabled, protected, and that we'd be encouraged, Father, each step of the way. And May our song be sung with boldness and may others receive it willingly as you've opened their hearts to uh, to be part of this heavenly family called the body of Christ. Father, please work in and through us to that end. We know that all things are working together for our good and that we have a very special place in your eternal plan. Father, I... I I pray for our nation again, and we often have it in our minds and in our hearts, Father. The liberties that were here being rapidly stolen, or at least the enemy is working hard to accomplish that. He wants to finish his plan. <laughs> we see that as he's so bold these days and so transparently visible and all should see and know that what's happening in this land is a, a work of the enemy. As we're going to be seeing today, Father, as we open your word, uh, our enemies actually are not the ones we see around us, see on TV or hear of or, or watch, but rather a heavenly cadre of uh, evil ones who are working Satan's will and controlling affairs here on this earth uh, as much as they're allowed. So, Father, I pray that, that you would interfere with that plan of the enemy and protect us and guide us as a, even as a nation. And we do pray and ask that you'd recover our liberties that have been lost and even recover them beyond that uh, back to what they were. <laughs> when the nation was founded, that would be a wonderful thing indeed. And I pray, Father, this nation and our people might be truly a light for the world, 
of course, we're speaking politically now, but really, Father, uh, the message is a spiritual one that we should have to offer to the world as as we have for so long, as many missionaries have gone forth with that very purpose. So, Father, please watch over all of them and all those others that serve faithfully who are in harm's way so often. Father, as we open your word this morning, may it be a great blessing to our hearts and an encouragement. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, we have a great opportunity before us this morning, and it's to open God's word in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in chapter 6 today, last time we very rapidly, and I think too rapidly really, uh, went through chapter 5, and uh, not, not for the purpose really of teaching the great truths that Paul has revealed there, but just for seeing them revealed and seeing the, the wording, the words are powerful and should be an encouragement to us to open God's word again and again to study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, and that we would uh, study Ephesians very carefully because we've seen how Paul, in his years after coming under arrest, remember he finished his third missionary journey, arrived uh, back in the land of promise, uh, and uh, was arrested and turned over from one ruler to another there. The Jews, of course, were behind the whole thing, and the Romans were really uh, keeping him in protective custody. Eventually, I mean, he would have been released, <laughs> uh, but he called upon the uh, the Roman deputy there and claimed Roman citizenship, which he was, in fact, a citizen of Rome, having been raised in a Roman city-state there of Tarsus, right? <clears throat> and uh, he then was uh, given opportunity and, and taken off, really, to Rome uh, to have an audience there uh, in defense of his... Uh, liberties and uh, was eventually released because that's his first imprisonment uh, he writes ephesians 5 during that first roman imprisonment he's then released uh, it's pretty clear and uh, some time passes before he's arrested again and during a second roman imprisonment he's ultimately uh, martyred under nero the emperor and Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and another one to the Colossians, I think at the same time. And uh, that's why the two letters are quite similar in many respects. And he writes them during his first Im imprisonment in Rome. Now, this is a few years after, because he's been in, been in bondage for a few years here uh, before arriving in Rome. Few years of time have passed since the end of his third missionary journey, and the Lord has taught him much during that time about what what he is doing uh, under grace. Remember, at the end of 
his third missionary journey, uh, he uh, he uh, reveals what what God is doing with Israel, right? And uh, Israel has been set aside ultimately, and uh, for a time, for a long time, as it turned out, they're still set aside as a nation even today. So it's you know 1,900 plus years so far. We think the time is drawing nigh for the rapture, and after that, of course, God will uh, readdress uh, the promises to his people, the Jews. So uh, that's yet future. So Paul's been taught much by Christ concerning grace and its abundance and how the message would go forth to the Gentiles independently of Israel, independently of a ministry to Israel. So that's uh, why the letter of the Ephesians has so much truth that isn't found anywhere in the book of Acts, right? There's uh, <laughs> so much truth here that should minister to our spirits about the abundance of grace and what it all means. What we've been given as a free gift and really what our lives now may be like considering uh the great gifts that have been poured out upon us. Okay, so that's what we've seen in Ephesians so far. And in chapter 5, we saw there were three emphases. One was on redeeming the time. He said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And we're going to see much more about that today, because really chapter 6, very much uh, of the same Focus, the days are evil, and how should we live in those days, considering the spiritual warfare that is required of us? We also saw in chapter 5 what the walk of the believer is like, as the believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And uh, then finally, what blessings come through membership in the church, the body of Christ, where Israel uh, is not present. Jews and Gentiles are the same. <laughs> They've both been uh, brought into the body on the same basis, not due to any national or family privilege at all, but uh, entirely as sinners saved by grace, right? No distinction between Jew and Gentile any longer in God's eyes and uh, not in ours either, I hope. Okay, so that's that's where we where we stand uh, there in uh, at the end of chapter five of the Ephesians. I want to jump right into chapter six, but before we do so, remember those words uh, from chapter five, verse sixteen. Redeeming the time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, there's a message there for all of us because we would like to think that somehow <clears throat> uh, through the church, uh, the world would be just totally transformed and made into a wonderful ideal kind of place to live something like what was in the garden of eden maybe even right <laughs> and uh somehow that that would be god's plan and it would he, that's what he would co accomplish and 
he would even transform nations for that purpose and so forth and so on. Well, um, but what Paul says here is that we need to be wise and, and not fools. He says, awake thou that sleepest and arise from among the dead ones and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time for the days are evil. And I pointed out to you what I I think should be pretty evident, and you probably didn't need me to tell you this, but when we look around ourselves in the world, what do we see but evil abounding, right? We shouldn't be surprised. Hmm. If we if we're really surprised, that's because we're not reading God's word and take it to, taking it to heart because He's telling us so much about the world. The world is managed by who? Satan is the prince of this world. It is the world system that he is dominating. That doesn't mean God, the Lord God, doesn't still accomplish His purpose in His work. He does. He does. He interferes with Satan's plans, but the world, the cosmos, the world, is Satan's domain, right? This will not always be true. In the kingdom, once it's established, it will no longer be true, (laughs) okay? Even though Satan will have a part to play at the end of the kingdom when he's released from bondage, and, and then an eternal kingdom will be established where Satan has no more place ever again. But today, Paul says, if we don't redeem the time, we'll we'll just be caught up in the middle of the evilness of this world. Okay, so we need to redeem it. That means to take advantage of the opportunities to buy them up out of a marketplace, to take advantage of, of them for the Lord, to walk uh, wisely, not as fools, and, um, you know, really to use the opportunities for the Lord uh, as he wills. And so that's uh, what he writes there. And then he goes on to describe in wonderful verses about how we shouldn't be drunk with wine, but rather filled with the Spirit so that uh, our lives become truly useful for the Lord, and also so that we have the joy of the Lord, singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in our hearts unto the Lord. And then he gets on to the subject of marriage. And uh, I only could briefly touch on that. It's really not our purpose today to go into that further. But there's a hierarchy that God has established, which we talked about last time, and that extends all the way down. It's not only a hierarchy in the heavens as to rulers and uh, and how submission to the rulers that be are uh, in the heavenlies required. Satan has broken that structure, of course, created his own alternative. And many spirit beings followed after him. So we have great warfare in the heavenlies between the two groups, the righteous and the unrighteous spirit beings. 
uh, <clears throat> we have that going on today, and its its effects are seen on the earth everywhere, right? Uh, but one thing that God has done when he created Adam and then Eve is to establish uh, a structure of authority there too, right, in the family. And in the marriage uh, as a sort of primary witness to really the uh, relationship which believers are to have with the Lord God, right? Uh, and to uh, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, right? So marriage is supposed to reflect the uh, relationship between Christ and the church. It's a great mystery, Paul writes there in Ephesians 5.32. The mystery is Christ and the church, and the marriage bond is to reflect that relationship with uh, proper love being shown by the husband and proper respect being shown by the wife. You see that verse 33 summarizes that so nicely. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Okay, so... That's where we left it last time, and uh, that'll be sufficient for our purposes here. Okay, today we want to learn more about living under grace. And there are three things today that Paul writes about in chapter 6. And I told you last time the division between the chapters is made up by man. It's not of God, right? So probably be far better off without this chapter division between five and six, because chapter six begins right in the middle of it, as it were, and not at the beginning of something new. Uh, so the first section here is on parent-child relationships and how they are transformed by grace. Secondly, he, he goes beyond the family to consider relationships in the world outside and how they are ennobled, ennobled by the abundance of grace. And finally, how even with all of these blessings of grace, there's still warfare that continues day by day and hour by hour because of Satan and his evil forces that seek to disrupt and destroy the plan of God for today under grace. They seek to destroy the grace of God and attacking the marriage is a fundamental part of that. Attacking the relationship that should be evident between parents and children and children and parents is the second part of it. And the third thing, outside the family. How do we relate to those outside the family? And Paul picks a specific example of this to underscore the whole teaching, and that is the relationship between slave owners and slaves. Slavery was a very real thing. In fact, in the world's history, slavery is <clears throat> always a real thing, even today. And uh, so Paul writes about that there, and we'll say something about that as we look at those verses today. So let's begin uh, living uh, under the abundance of grace. 
the parent-child relationships are transformed. Okay, so Patty, would you read that for us, please? Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, this is a very interesting four verses. Um, I think all parents who have children understand the significance of the teaching here. I mean, we do have responsibility as parents, as, as Christian parents, as believing parents, to train up our children, as it says here, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And a challenge that is indeed. Uh, the world wants to destroy this kind of relationship and replace it with something that's broken, perverted, and in fact, uh, not only destructive, but thoroughly evil. That's what uh, Satan's up to today. And he attacks the family just like he attacks marriages, right? In fact, a broken marriage can easily lead to a circumstance in which the relationship between parent and child is also broken, right? These all go together. So Paul, of course, is writing uh, to the believers uh, <clears throat> on the basis of the marriage not being broken, <laughs> but rather an example for the children, right? Where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, and the children can see that, and where the wives respect their husbands properly, right? And the children can see that. It is an example for them. Without that example, it all becomes so much more difficult. But Paul's writing as if that, ex that example exists. Uh, and so he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, and uh, honor your father and mother, he says. And he mentions Moses' law. And I've always found that to be rather interesting, considering the fact that many times Paul writes that we're not under Moses' law, but under grace, right? So why does he go back to Moses' law here? Well, I think the reason is that certain principles are not dispensational at all. They're true in every dispensation. Okay, all the way from when children were first brought forth until today and even into the future, the relationship between parents and children ought to be uh, relationships that honor the Lord, okay? And so he goes back to Moses' law and says, well, look what it was like back there. Not only was there a commandment, that he even says there, this particular commandment had a promise attached to it. And the promise was, if you honored your father and mother, you would live long on this earth, as opposed to, hmm, because there was a death penalty associated with dishonoring your parents. And if that wasn't carried out, at least there would be misery upon misery, right? Because God promised it. So he even talked about how many generations uh, might be affected there uh, in those 
times, right, living under Moses' law. So uh, certainly uh, this this relationship that would honor the Lord is one that should carry on through every dispensation, right? And uh, verse 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up, not negatively, but positively, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not the Father's job to execute law, but to demonstrate grace and love, true love, right? So he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Very sensitive uh, language there. Not only nurture, but also admonition. But it's to be of the Lord, not of the of the Father as the ultimate rule uh, maker and executor in the home, right? Okay, so you can go back into the Old Testament and see so many examples of uh, where there were parents who raised up children in a godly way. And there are other, so many examples of where uh, it did not go the way God had intended and the consequences revealed there. So, though Paul gives great respect for the law here, he's not teaching that we're subject to it, just that uh, by grace, we may have an honorable relationship as Christian parents with our children. If, 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 right? Children may not respond. They may turn aside. They may uh, run after the uh, enemy and believe his lies. Uh, that often happens. But our responsibility is to nurture and uh, admonish them in the Lord. Okay, secondly, living under the abundance of grace, it affects the relationships we have outside the wor- in the world too, right? And in fact, it ennobles them, ennobles those relationships. Otherwise, there would be this uh, absolute um, uh, sort of dichotomy where where there was no uh, connection at all to the world. You'd be living in a cave. But we do have relationships with people outside who are somehow subject to the uh, world systems, uh, perhaps the evil controls, right? In, the, in that case, they had a slavery system that was evident everywhere, okay? And uh, just because God is working in the church, the body of Christ, to provide true liberty, right, does not mean the culture was changed. They were still living in that culture. There was still uh, slave owners and there were still slaves. And many times, slave owners would come to know Christ as Savior. and uh, Or slaves may have come to know Christ independently of their master. Uh, I think that what Paul is writing about here has to apply in some way in all, to all of those situations, right? But it does seem that his emphasis is on uh, uh, godly relationships, uh, in both directions, because that that is the goal, that is the objective, right? So what does he say there? Let's read that. So, Anne, would you read for us, please, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9? Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, 
with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Thank you, Anne. Well, <laughs> again, uh, Paul is respecting the fact that there is a system in place that is not being canceled just simply because there are believers in this world, okay? And that is the the condition that slavery uh, imposed upon many who had their liberties removed. Now, they, they weren't always entirely removed, we may think of slaves as being somehow brutalized by their masters. I'm sure that was not always the case. Much of the time, they were more like indentured servants. And in some cases, they were gaining their liberty. And Paul even writes about that in some of his letters, right? So here he's saying how the relationship ought to work, right? And uh, sort of ignoring the fact that some really do have power over others. He's talking about how that power should be exercised, right? And he's saying that in Christ, there is no bond or free. It doesn't exist in the eyes of God and in, in the church itself. Uh, it should not uh, enter our thoughts either. So whatever society imposes... Uh, believers still have a responsibility to relate to one another as equals, okay? And he says, when you serve or when you govern in this relationship that you may find yourself in as slave owners and slaves, that you should do so as unto the Lord. Those are the key words there. As unto the Lord. Also, as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay? Now, this is quite an exhortation, isn't it? Uh, he says, uh, you should know that all the good that's done will find its response <laughs> as God himself works out his good plan for you as a believer, right? It may not even be in this life. It may be in eternity. There will be rewards, of course. We all know that, right? There are rewards. Not that we're earning our salvation at all, but that there are rewards for a spiritual uh, work that's performed as unto the Lord. So all are on the same foundation here, on the same level in the sight of God. I think it's quite a, quite a lesson. Now, you might wonder, why is Paul silent about slavery? He's quite accepting of slavery, it seems. Well, he was not a revolutionary. Paul did not want his heavenly citizenship 
and message to be tarnished by political earthly concerns. Imagine the consequence if he had, right? There would be no outreach for the gospel at all. In fact, in fact, the early uh, church would have been destroyed by Rome if there was a direct conflict of this sort. And so he does not speak out directly against it. Why? Because even in a slavery situation, believers are one with their masters in Christ and one with the Lord, right? Bonded to him with an eternal perspective. In our lives here, only a preparation for eternity. And I think that uh, if you kind of look at Paul's exhortations in that light, you'll understand better why he does not speak out directly against slavery. Ultimately, in a culture or in a nation, if if, uh, the church really was dominant, right? Slavery would would be eliminated, as we saw that it was here, and also it was in, of course, Great Britain and and other nations in the world, uh, as the Christian message became prominent. But that also may change, (laughs) right? And go the other direction, we know that too. Okay, let's go to the third thing here. The third thing is that when we are living under grace, even with the abundance of that grace and every blessing God pours out, there's still a condition of war that's uh, a reality. And so Paul writes that our warfare against satanic foes will continue. It's not as if it's going to end in this life. It is not. And uh, that's part of the plan of God, ultimately. Satan will always seek to destroy the harmonies that God would bring into our lives, whether that be in marriage and in families or outside the family. Satan will always try to destroy uh, the relationships that would honor God. That's his constant activity. And uh, so the submission of one to another within the body with proper respect will be challenged by Satan. And so you see that even in our world today, very, very evidently uh, being presented that there should be no such thing as submission of wives to husbands or uh, of uh, one group to another, but that... uh, There should even be violence, if necessary, to create some kind of imaginary ideal uh, equity, true equality under the plan of God or under the law, if we have that, uh, replaced by some system of uh, dictatorial rule, right? Lowest common denominator. That's really what many are promoting today. It's thoroughly evil. So what Paul reveals here, though, is that warfare continues. And in its essence, it's spiritual. Let's read about that. So I'd like um, Gail to read uh, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Thank you, Gail, so much. Uh, so we see some of the details there of what our spiritual warfare is to be. Uh, and now continuing in the reading, uh, Sarah, I'd like you to read verses 14 to 18, and then Lydia, uh, verses 19 through 24, right after. Stand there, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Okay, Lydia, verses 19 to 24. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But you, you also may know my, that may know my affairs and how I am doing to keep us a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. We will make things know to you who I am sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in, in sincerity. Amen. Thank you, Lydia. Okay, so there's so much here. Our purpose today isn't really to teach what's written here as much as just to to open your eyes to what's here so that you might begin to enter into the truth uh, in the days to come as you open this word and uh, study that yourselves. So what is Paul writing about here? Spiritual warfare. He's saying that when you look around, you should understand not what's just sort of apparent, but what's going on behind the scenes. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote this, at least under house arrest, right? He's chained to a Roman guard. Think about that. And he's saying these chains that I see here are, well, they look like iron. Hmm. He believed there was a spiritual side to the whole thing, right? And that really the enemy was working full time to suppress his own ministry. In fact, to totally cancel it out. But of course, he was the servant of the Lord, not of Nero. He was in bonds to Christ, not the Roman rulers, as he saw it. And he had an opportunity, therefore. And he prays that he might be bold to carry out that ministry. Now, this is just an incredible message, really, considering the circumstances that Paul is under at that time, right? He writes in such a, what, um, powerful and encouraging way 
concerning the affairs of believers throughout this entire dispensation, often set aside from uh, the living and the life that we might rather have in the world, and uh, perhaps even in bondage in prison, perhaps even on the verge of uh, martyrdom, right? Uh, How should we see our circumstances, therefore? as opportunities for the message of grace to go forth. And that's what he's saying here. (laughs) That's an amazing message, isn't it? He's saying we shouldn't see things as as, uh, they might appear, which means basically we we need to now fight to uh, create the kind of... uh, circumstances we would rather have right but rather abide spiritually knowing that god is in control and he's working all things together for our good now that doesn't mean he's going to uh, reverse the trends we see in our country he may we pray that he would we do pray we do ask for that right but uh, he may not as well Times may become much more difficult than we ever imagined. We do not know if they will. They may. But whatever happens, we're to remember the words written here, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against against what? Principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our warfare really is spiritual, right? Not against people here who may have assumed the reins of power, perhaps unjustly, perhaps not unjustly, but our warfare isn't really against them or against their supporters or a certain political group. The warfare that we're to be involved in is spiritual. Okay, I hope that we all see that. And there is a proper way to wage this war spiritually. Okay, and he mentions what that is uh, there in that great section we just read, right? Oh, my. Verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and uh, 18 tell us how to wage that war. Notice the key words there, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, okay, salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, okay? And then he mentions prayer. In that verse, verse 18, four times he mentions the word, uses the word all. <laughs> so really prayer is very central indeed and uh, will make the difference, right? So really what Paul is saying is that we're spiritual beings, except we're spiritual beings on the right side. Others are spiritual, but on the wrong side, right? Just because they're spiritual doesn't mean they're good. Many are thoroughly evil. And false spirituality today and New Age 
spirituality is encroaching uh, in the churches against the saints of God everywhere you look, right? Okay, so that's what we find there. And Paul ends his letter with this prayer for himself. Not that he'd be delivered from bondage in Rome. Doesn't even mention it. But that he have a testimony that's appropriate. That should encourage us. Well, that's how he ends the letter, except for his final salutation at the end. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That word sincerity means uh, more than it might seem. At least the Greek word has a connotation of it going on and on and on and not being interrupted, not stopping. Our love uh, uh, to continue on in purity and just uh, never, never cease, right? Whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. Because as Paul, we also are ambassadors, right? Praise God. Wow. The right words to speak. Well, do we have them? Are we emboldened by what we've just read? Will we consider the warfare to be spiritual or maybe political? You know, where will our hearts and minds be set? On worldly matters or on heavenly matters? So these are the themes of the last part of this letter, right? Wow, what a blessing to have the revelation of how God is working today, right? Amen and amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed Paul's letter to the Ephesians. A pretty quick trip through it. But uh, next time we'll look at a, look at Colossians and I think just take one, maybe a two, but probably only one uh, time there in Colossians and then rapidly finish the book of Acts, right? We've gone to Ephesians and Colossians to see how much the Lord revealed to Paul and what he has now been able to reveal to the saints after finishing his final missionary journey. Praise God for his grace and its revelation. Amen. Amen. Well, are there any comments any would like to make today? Before we go to prayer, any comments? Okay, let's go to prayer. Father God, thank you, thank you. This great letter to the Ephesians stands, if all we had of your scriptures, if all that had been preserved was this letter, we would still be truly blessed indeed. So, Father, thank you for encouraging us by it. And now we've seen so clearly clearly revealed and powerfully revealed the fullness of your grace, Father. And therefore, how you are working today in the dispensation of your abundant grace. So, Father, thank you for pouring that grace out uh, to us and in us. And we hope through us to others, because you're not done here yet, are you? And if you were, we have been already caught up into heaven's glory. So, Father, thank you again, and what a blessing in Christ's name and 
Amen and amen.